This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like overabundantly ratchet shit. And I'm the ambassador of ceremonies, the one gay kid, Pat State Blank, Alex Joe Blank, Peter Sutherland, the Fly Talker, the most interesting guy in podcasting, controller of trolls, the Prince of Petty, Steve G. June 5th, 2022, and over the week, I got a phone call from my former roommate, my roommate that I lived with when I was in Stone Mountain, and y'all know how I feel about Stone Mountain. I hate it. Can't stand it. I always say that Atlanta has every kind of blank person you could ask for, but Stone Mountain has every kind of Negro you don't ask for, but niggas are here, niggas exist, and niggas are a thing. And my former roommate, my roommate that I lived with when I first moved down here, is a woman. She's a female, and we got along fine. Uh, But over time, things got really weird. Things got really weird and really ratchet. Uh, Along the way, she brought in a boyfriend. She got a boyfriend, and uh, we got along fine, me and him as well. But that last month, things got pretty fucking crazy. Um, physical altercations amongst them. I had to break it up. Uh, There were some things going on with pets. There were a lot of pets along the way. We had cats. We had, I believe, some dogs in there. We had some hamsters, some goddamn rabbits, uh, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. What the fuck? Yeah, it was a whole lot. Um, You know, pet shit pellets on on the floor. Uh, and my room was the probably the cleanest in the whole apartment. Actually, I know it had to be, had to fucking be. And I kept to myself a lot. And I just got a phone call over the week from my former roommate. And she's letting me know the goings on about her and her relationship with her boyfriend, who she's still with. And I did not give a fuck about any of that shit. Because I told her, you guys are not good for each other. You're very Bobby and Whitney. You're very toxic. Um, yeah, you guys should not even be together. Stop it. That's that's all I got for you. Um, you know, I, I guess things got physical. Once again, there were accusations of cheating uh, between the two. And, you know, hey, move on. Just press on, just like I did. I had to get the fuck out of there ASAP like Rocky, goddammit. And when I got out of there, I did not want anything to do with any of that shit. I'm Paul, and that's between y'all. And uh, yeah, do not drag me into that Bobby and Whitney bullshit. Um, just calling me to let me know, like, hey, uh, this is what's going on, and uh, I know you got things going on with your podcast and whatnot. Maybe I can be a, like, eh, no, I, I don't. This is the most involvement you're going to have with my podcast. I'm sorry if you hear this. Got love for you. Thanks for allowing me to be your roommate. And uh, but at the same time, thank God that lease was only for six months because I don't know what would have happened. I just can't do ratchet shit and overabundance of ratchet shit. I entertain ratchet shit. I can listen to ratchet shit on my Spotify. I can say ratchet shit from time to time with my cohorts, with my my homeboys, with my niggas. But when it's just 24 seven, all day, every day, and there's no off switch for the shit, man, get me off this ride, please. Won't do it, can't do it. 
especially like because you know what, what you can't what you get with the ratchet shit there's a, a huge amount of there's a huge lack of accountability want to do a lot all this dumbass ghetto shit and when you get the repercussions of doing all this ghetto ass ratchet shit you want to cry wolf like why why it's because i'm black no because you're a dumbass nigga and i've gotten on these funky honkies from time to time like i do and you know that's an ongoing process but you know i've totally been neglecting these dumbass niggas um you know and, and niggas have to go niggas should have been gone i can't stand niggas niggas make me want to join the clan goddammit. and i'm black I, I love being a black man i wouldn't trade it for the fucking world but at the same time just like chris rock said decades ago there's black people and then there's niggas and i really have to protect my peace i really do i, I gotta go back into my shell because you know people want me to be outside oh you don't go outside enough steve well you know what there's niggas outside there's niggas out in abundance they're like roaches god damn it and i cannot stand being around niggas in any capacity i'm 38 i would love to see 39 knock on wood we got a couple more months to go and that's not a black thing it's a protect your peace thing I don't like niggas and I don't like honkies. I don't like being around funky honkies who bother me when I'm at a sports bar trying to watch the game, talking about that shut up and dribble bullshit. Your mama can shut up and dribble on these nuts. And speaking of nuts, Post Malone just dropped his latest album on Friday called 12 Carat Toothache. Uh, good for him. I didn't add anything to my playlist. I just wanted to take a gander. This was one last shot, Post Malone. I was giving you one last chance. And you know what? I, I heard enough to make a solid decision, a sound decision. Uh, I'm good on some Post Malone. Uh, back in the day, in my parents' time, they had this thing called Blue-Eyed Soul. You know, Hall & Oates, some, uh, was it? Uh, Mike Madonna, those kind of guys. Guys that, if you didn't know, if you if you weren't watching the video of them perform, you would have thought it was a black man. They called it Blue-Eyed Soul. And we have this thing going on currently in the hip-hop world. Uh, colonizer Trap, I call it. Yes, Colonizer Trap. And Post Malone is, is Colonizer Trap. Um, appropriation, yes. And I'm only applying the appropriation label if I don't like your shit. Um, I don't think Eminem is appropriation because he's a talented MC. He respects the craft, um, all of the elements, the MCing, the freestyling, even breakdancing. Yes, Eminem, I've seen the man breakdance. You can look it up on YouTube. I'm not lying to you. He respects the craft. Uh, Elvis, uh, appropriation. And that's how I'm looking at Mr. Post Malone, Mr. Face Tats with the cornrows. Um, you know, I'm skeptical about any white man who has cornrows, any of them. I'm like, who sent you? And yes, 12 karat toothache, don't give a fuck how many tracks, don't give a fuck how many minutes, the, the duration of any of that shit. He had a couple features. Roddy Rich is on the first track, the very first track. And Roddy Rich's part was I. Roddy Ridge's part was okay. 
Um, but it, it took you about forever and a day to get to Roddy Rich's part. And I just can't do it. I cannot do it. He starts off with this uh, Zappin' Roger T-Pain shit. And what are you, Post Malone? Are you a rapper? Are you a singer? Because I don't think you can sing. And I haven't heard your bars. I haven't seen you on Sway in the Morning doing dropping a 16. I haven't seen you with Funkmaster Flex dropping a 16. If you have, if any of you have, please point that link in my direction. Please. Uh, but... I don't know, Post Malone, you don't get a pass from Steve G, and I don't speak for everyone in the culture, but yeah, in, in the Ashy Nissan Altima, you get no rotation, no dice, no balls, no sauce. Now, back to the NBA. The finals are here. We had game one on Thursday. The Boston Celtics against the Golden State Warriors in Golden State and Boston Celtics. They showed up and showed out in the fourth quarter. That was considered the Al Horford game. Hey, let's make this an Al Horford series, shall we? I would love it. I would not be mad if Al Horford kept that same energy game two, game three, and four. Whatever it takes to sweep these motherfuckers. Let's end them right now in one fatal swoop the quicker the better because I could not wait if they get swept if even if they lose I want to see what the curry apologists are going to say what what's your excuse now still sitting on them three rings still no finals in VP I would love for it and I know hey it's not likely because the Warriors they do have a tough team they do have good players. They got Steph. They got Clay with the K. They do have Pink Mouth, who is a workhorse. I'll give that to you, Pink Mouth. They do have Jordan, this little Jordan Peel motherfucker. Jordan Woods, whatever, whoever his name is. Jordan Bull, that's the fucker's name. They got Gary, Par Gary Payton, part two. They got Otto Porter. They have some key role players. And let's not forget about Andrew Wiggins. So they're hitting on every cylinder. However, I don't like them. I do not want to see them win. Um, and if they do win, I would prefer Curry not getting that finals MVP. So, Boston, let's please continue that energy. They play tonight, once again in Golden State. Game two, and uh, yes, I, I don't think I've ever rooted for Boston. The only other time I've rooted for Boston uh, was when they played the Lakers uh, with KG, Pierce, and Ray Allen. Only time in 09 and 2010. No, 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 08 and 2010. And also over the week, Hulu just released the documentary on the late great XXX Tentacion. It's called Look at Me, XXX Tentacion. And it tells not just his career, it, it chronicles his whole life uh, from the day he was born until his demise uh, when he was murdered in 2018. And they interviewed his mom. She is a key component of this documentary, um, telling, you know, how she gave birth to him. You know, she was a single mother and how he was an only child and, you know, how that possibly affected him growing up and how that affected his perspective as an artist. Uh, very talented guy, uh, wise beyond his years, man. Um, and I, I, just like Mac Miller, I didn't catch on to XX Tentacion until much later uh, when it was too late, basically. And
he has legions of fans. He definitely has a cult following. And according to the documentary, he is the highest grossing artist off of Spotify. He is the most streamed artist off of Spotify. They say he has uh, in the ballpark of a billion streams total, his whole catalog on there. And very brilliant artist, man. Um, people say he's somewhat of a descendant of DMX, and I can see that. They, they have a dark, a lot of darkness in their music, in their art. And I remember seeing his freshman freestyle for Double XL. You know, they, they have their freshman of the year freestyles and their selections for freshman of the year. And it was XXX Tentacion uh, with a handful of mumble rappers. Um, he stood out like a sore thumb because when it was his turn to spit, the music stopped and he was in a whole nother zone. And I mean, compared to those mumble rappers, it was like night and day. I think Denzel Curry was a part of that, but I think those are the only two that I could even rock with. But all things June 5th. In 1987, Harry and the Hendersons premiered. And I remember watching that starring John Lithgow. And that is a cult classic, if you ask me. In 1990, New Kids on the Block released the album Step by Step, and I remember the wave that the New Kids on the Block were on, and they had some tracks that I, I fucked with. Don't don't judge me, okay? I, I was six years old at the time. All right. In 1992, The Patriot Games premiered in theaters, as well as Class Act, and I did see Class Act uh, with my mom, and uh, that is a kid and play. Uh, it, it wasn't a part of the house party series it was kind of like its own standalone uh but it also had hillary from fresh prince karen parsons uh yeah blade brown and duncan Pinterhues. and also bruh man was in there he he played one of the goons of the heavy in class act so yeah man and the heavy i believe yeah the heavy was tommy off martin tommy strong r.i.p to thomas michael ford in 1998, A Perfect Murder premiered in theaters. In 2001, Foxy Brown releases Broken Silence, St. Lunatics released Free City, and Drowning Pool releases the album Center. And when they released their album Center, after the 9-11 after the attacks later in 2001, the single Bodies Hit the Floor is put on the list of songs deemed inappropriate by the Clear Channel. And I remember seeing Drowning Pool, actually. Uh, they came to the seagate center in toledo ohio they open up for seven dust and that was a killer ass show but yeah man let the bodies hit the floor in 2002 soul and r&b singer r kelly is charged with 21 counts of having sexual intercourse with a minor after a videotape allegedly showing him engaged in sexual acts with an underage girl is broadcast on the internet yeah i remember that still have yet to see the video i've never seen the video but that happened when i was in college and all the guys were talking about it yep sure it was it was the talk of the town in 2007 t-pain releases the album epiphany in 2009 the hangover the first hangover premiered in theaters in 2012 currency releases the album the stoned immaculate and big crit releases live from the underground in 2020, Run The Jewels releases the album Run The Jewels 4, another great album. But more important to me than all of that shit 
1998, the same day A Perfect Murder releases in theaters, The Truman Show premieres in theaters, starring James Carey's. And y'all know how I feel about some James Carey. He is the goat of physical comedy. But you know what? The Truman Show isn't your typical Carey movie from the 90s. This was, you could say, his first foray into something serious. And it was nominated for some things, some a couple awards in the Academy, uh, British Television and Movie Award, uh, Screen Actors Guild Award. And this was his statement movie to show the world like, hey, I got serious chops, too. And people should look into that. Uh, people with a comedic acting background end up being some of the best entertainers. Look at Jamie Foxx. Look at Jim Carrey. Look at Eddie Murphy. They got range. Look at Robin Williams. They got range. Yeah. Truman Show. It was ahead of its time. And this was before the reality TV craze that set up in the 2000s with the, the big brothers and the survivors and the, uh, I mean, keeping up with the Kardashians, uh, Bobby and Whitney, they had a show, all of that shit. Truman Show was just like, looked into the future. Today in sports history, in 1927, Johnny Weissmuller sets a 100-yard and 200-yard freestyle swim record. In 1952, the first sporting event televised nationally, Jersey Joe Walcott beats Ezra Charles in 15 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. In 1966, Cincinnati Red Leo Cardenas hits four home runs in a doubleheader. Go Ohio! In 1974, Oakland A's Reggie Jackson and Bill North engage in a clubhouse fight at Detroit. In 1977, the 31st NBA championship is held. The Portland Trailblazers beat the Philadelphia 76ers four games to two. In 1981, Astros' Nolan Ryan passes early win as all-time walk leader with 1,777. Eh, that's not a reflection of Nolan. He played for like 11 seasons. Give him a break. In 1989, Toronto Blue Jays Sky Dome Stadium opens, but the Milwaukee Brewers win 5-3. In 2011, the Men's French Open is held. Defending champion Rafael Nadal wins his sixth French title, beating Roger Federer. And in 2018, American boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr. is named 2017's top earning sports person by Forbes with $285 million. And that was my half-assed sports report. Coming up, I'm going to be talking about the movie The Truman Show, released on this day in 1998. We'll be black after these messages. Inside the mind, tormented by the killing of everything that ever gave me a reason for living. 
feeling like my life's been cursed right from the beginning. Peeping over my shoulder because I hate surprise in this. A vision of hope, but don't be fooled by the appearance. When your biggest enemy is a mirror image. Slow stairway to heaven, fast highway to hell. Can't avoid the ladder if you don't have a soul to sell. Welcome to the low life.
special mention to those no longer with us. Last Wednesday, we lost American football player Marion Barber. Born Marion Sylvester Barber III on June 10, 1983 in Plymouth, Minnesota, he was a running back who played for seven seasons in the National Football League. After playing college football for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, he was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in the fourth round of the 2005 NFL Draft. He was selected to the Pro Bowl in 2007 during his six-year tenure with the Cowboys. He played for the Chicago Bears in 2011. He was the older brother of former Houston Texan safety Dominique Barber and Minnesotan Golden Gophers linebacker Thomas Barber and the son of former New York Jets running back Marion Barber Jr. He was also a cousin of Peyton Barber. Barber was found dead in his Frisco, Texas apartment on June 1st, 2022 at the age of 38. Mary Kay Bergman was an American voice actress and voiceover teacher. Born on June 5, 1961 in Los Angeles, California, she was the lead female voice actress on South Park from the show's 1997 debut until her death. Throughout her career, Bergman performed voice work for over 400 television commercials and voiced over 100 cartoon, film, and video game characters. Born in Los Angeles, Bergman had an interest in fantasy and animation early in her life. She acted in plays during high school and also studied theater at University of California, Los Angeles. After struggling to secure on-screen acting jobs, she began taking work as a voiceover actress. In 1989, she began voicing the Disney character Snow White. In the 1990s, she voiced Daphne Blake in three films from the Scooby-Doo franchise, as well as Timmy Turner in the Oh Yeah cartoons. From 1991 to 1997, she voiced several minor characters on The Simpsons. Bergman suffered from bipolar and generalized anxiety disorders, which she hid from her family, friends, and co-stars. When her mother was diagnosed with cancer, Bergman's depression was mistaken as a reaction to her mother's illness, along with job-related stress. Her husband said that he had found herbal mood medications that Bergman had hidden in their home. Bergman had privately confessed to her husband that she was afraid of losing her talent as sessions were not going well. She was concerned that people would feel that her talent had gone and that her career would come to an end. Her husband later regretted that Bergman had told nobody about her distress. As time went by, Bergman's fears seemed to lessen as her mother was doing better. Bergman and her husband were also planning to purchase a new house within a year, but she still suffered physically. Because of this, she and her husband decided to have an elaborate vacation in Las Vegas, which they had planned a week before her death. On the morning of November 11, 1999, Bergman contributed to a radio program celebrating Disneyland's 45th anniversary. She was last seen alive at 9 p.m. while she was talking to a friend on the phone. An hour and 20 minutes later, her husband and his friend John Bell returned home to find that she had shot herself in the head with a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun. She was pronounced dead in the hospital at 10.18 p.m. at the age of 38. Spalding Gray was an American actor and writer. Born on June 5, 1941 in Providence, Rhode Island, he is best known for the autobiographical monologues that he had wrote and performed for the theater in the 1980s and 1990s, as well as for his film adaptations of these works, beginning in 1987. He wrote and starred in several, working with different directors. 
Theater critics John Willis and Ben Hodges called Gray's monologues trenchant, personal narratives delivered on sparse, unadorned sets with a dry, wasp, quiet mania. Gray achieved renown for his monologue Swimming to Cambodia, which he adapted as a 1987 film in which he starred. It was directed by Jonathan Demme. Other of his monologues that he has adapted for film were Monster in a Box in 1991, directed by Nick Broomfield, and Grey's Anatomy in 1996, directed by Steven Soderbergh. In June 2001, Grey was severely injured in a car crash while on vacation in Ireland. In the crash, he suffered a broken hip, which left his right leg almost immobilized and a fracture in his skull. During surgery on his skull, a titanium plate was placed over the break after surgeons removed dozens of bone fragments from his frontal cortex, leaving a jagged scar on his forehead. He struggled to recover from his injuries and a severe depression set in some time after the accident. He had already struggled intermittently with depression. Suffering both from physical impairment and ongoing depression, Gray struggled for months and was treated with a variety of different therapies. Gray sought treatment from neurologist Oliver Sacks, who began treating him in August 2003 and continued to do so almost until Gray died. Sachs later said Gray perceived the taking of his own life as part of what he had to say, with the monologue as having talked about what he called a creative suicide. On one occasion, when he was being interviewed, he thought that the interview might be culminated with a dramatic and creative suicide. I was at pains to say that he would be much more creative alive than dead. On January 11, 2004, Gray was declared missing. The night before his disappearance, he had taken his children to see Tim Burton's film, Big Fish. It ends with the line, a man tells a story over and over so many times, he becomes the story. In that way, he is immortal. Gray's widow, Kathy Russo, said after he disappeared, you know, Spaulding cried after he saw that movie. I just think it gave him permission. I think it gave him permission to die. When Gray was first reported missing, his profile was featured on the Fox Network television show, America's Most Wanted. On March 7, 2004, the Office of Chief Medical Examiner of the City of New York reported that two men had discovered Gray's body and pulled it from the East River. One of the men gave an interview about the incident. It is believed that Gray jumped off the Staten Island Ferry. He had previously attempted suicide in 2002. Gray was reported to have been working on a new monologue at the time of his death. There was speculation that his revisiting the material of the car crash in Ireland and his subsequent attempts to recover from his injuries might have triggered a final bout of depression. He was 62 at the time of his death. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1998, The Truman Show premiered in theaters. The Truman Show is a 1998 American psychological science fiction satirical comedy drama film directed by Peter Weir, produced by Scott Rudin, Andrew Nichol, Edward S. Feldman, and Adam Schroeder, and written by Nichol. The film stars Jim Carrey as Truman Burbank, a man who grew up living an ordinary life that, unbeknownst to him, takes place on a large set populated by actors for a television show about him. The supporting cast includes Laura Linney, Ed Harris, Noah Emmerich, Holland Taylor, Paul Giamatti, and Brian Delotti. Unlike the finished script, Nichols' spec script was more of a science fiction thriller with the story set in New York City. 
Scott Rudin purchased the script and set up production at Paramount Pictures. Brian De Palma was to direct before Weir signed as director, making the film for $60 million, $20 million less than the original estimate. Nickel rewrote the script while the crew was waiting for Carrie to sign. The majority of filming took place at Seaside, Florida, a master-planned community located in the Florida Panhandle. The Truman Show held its world premiere in Los Angeles on June 1, 1998, and was released in North America on June 5th. The film was a financial success, debuting to critical acclaim, and earned numerous nominations at the 71st Academy Awards, the 56th Golden Globe Awards, the 52nd British Academy Film Awards, and the 25th Saturn Awards. The Truman Show has been analyzed as an exploration of simulated reality, existentialism, surveillance, religion, metaphilosophy, privacy, and reality television. the unsuspecting star of The Truman Show, a reality television program filmed 24-7 through thousands of hidden cameras and broadcast to a worldwide audience. Kristoff, the show's creator and executive producer, seeks to capture Truman's authentic emotions and give audiences a relatable everyman. As Truman was selected from birth following an unwanted pregnancy, Kristoff claims that Truman came to be adopted not just by the show, but by the whole world. Truman's hometown of Sea Haven Island is a complete set built within an enormous dome populated by crew members and actors who highlight the product placements that generate revenue for the show. The elaborate set allows Kristoff to control almost every aspect of Truman's life, including the weather. To prevent Truman from discovering his false reality, Kristoff manufactures scenarios that dissuade Truman's desire for exploration, such as the death of his father in a sea storm to instill aquaphobia, and by constantly broadcasting and printing messages of the dangers of traveling and the virtues of staying home. However, Kristoff cannot predict all of Truman's actions. During his college years, Truman was intended to fall in love with and marry co-student Merrill, but fell for Sylvia, an extra. Although Sylvia was quickly removed from the show before she could disclose its nature to Truman, he continues to remember her and secretly dreams of a life with Sylvia outside of his marriage to Merrill. To this end, he seeks to travel to Fiji, where he was told Sylvia's family moved. In the real world, Sylvia is a part of the Free Truman Campaign, which fights to have Truman released from the program. As the show approaches its 30th anniversary, Truman begins discovering unusual elements, such as a spotlight falling out of the sky in front of his house, and a radio channel that precisely describes his movements. These events are punctuated by the reappearance of his father, who had infiltrated the set as a beggar. Truman begins questioning his life and realizes that the city somehow revolves around him. Merrill's stress from attempting to uphold the charade in the face of Truman's growing skepticism and hostility causes their marriage to deteriorate. One day, Truman takes Merrill by surprise by going on an impromptu road trip, but increasingly implausible emergencies block their way. During an argument ignited by Merrill attempting to advertise a product, Truman determines that Merrill is a part of the conspiracy and holds her at knife point. She breaks character and is taken off the show. Hoping to bring Truman back to a controllable state, Kristoff reintroduces Truman's father to the show properly, under the guise of having lost his memory after the boating accident. 
This helps the show regain the ratings lead with audiences, and Truman seems to return to his routines, except he begins sleeping in his basement. One night, Truman secretly disappears through a makeshift tunnel in his basement, forcing Kristoff to temporarily suspend the broadcast for the first time in its history. Audiences around the world are captivated by this unexpected event, and record numbers tune in. Kristoff orders a citywide search for Truman, and is soon forced to cue the sun and break the production's day-night cycle to optimize the search. Kristoff discovers Truman sailing away from Sea Haven on a small boat, having conquered his fear of water. He resumes the transmission and, unable to fetch Truman by boat, creates a violent storm in an attempt to capsize Truman's boat. After nearly drowning Truman but failing to break his spirit, Kristoff ends the storm. Truman continues to sail until his boat strikes the wall of the dome. Initially horrified, Truman discovers a nearby staircase leading to an exit door. As Truman contemplates leaving his world, Kristoff speaks directly to Truman through a speaker system and tries to persuade him to stay, claiming that there is no more truth in the real world than in his artificial one, where he would have nothing to fear. After a moment of reflection, Truman says his catchphrase, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, bows to his audience and exits. The viewers celebrate his escape and Sylvia races to greet him. Defeated, Kristoff's supervisors finally end the program on a shot of the open exit door. Truman's fans, the viewers of the show, cheer upon his successful escape and then, after transmission ceases, ask what else is on television. Robin Williams was considered for the role. Still, Weir cast Carrie after seeing him in Ace Ventura Pet Detective because Carrie's performance reminded him of Charlie Chaplin. Carrie took the opportunity to proclaim himself as a dramatic actor rather than being typecast in comedic roles. Carrie, who was then normally paid $20 million per film, agreed to do The Truman Show for $12 million. Carrie and Weir initially found working together on set difficult as Carey's contract gave him the power to demand rewrites, but Weir was impressed with Carey's improvisational skills, and the two became more interactive. The scene in which Truman declares this planet Trumania of the Burbank galaxy to the bathroom mirror was Carey's idea. Andrew Nichol completed a one-page film treatment titled The Malcolm Show in May 1991. The original draft was more in tone of a science fiction thriller with the story set in New York City. Nichols stated, I think everyone questions the authenticity of their lives at certain points. It's like when kids ask if they're adopted. In the fall of 1993, producer Scott Rudin purchased the script for slightly over $1 million. Paramount Pictures agreed to distribute. Part of the deal called for Nichol to make his directing debut, though Paramount executives felt the estimated $80 million budget would be too high for him. In addition, Paramount wanted to go with an A-list director, paying Nickel extra money to step aside. Brian De Palma was under negotiations to direct before he left United Talent Agency in March of 94. Directors who were considered after De Palma's departure included Tim Burton, Sam Raimi, Terry Gilliam, Barry Sonnenfeld, and Steven Spielberg, before Peter Weir signed on in early 1995, following a recommendation of Nickel. Brian Singer wanted to direct but Paramount decided to go with more experienced Weir. 
Weir wanted the film to be funnier, feeling that Nickel's script was too dark and declaring, where Nickel had it depressing, I could make it light. I, it could convince. Weir wanted the film to be funnier, feeling that Nickel's script was too dark and declaring, where Nickel had it depressing, I could make it light. It could convince audiences they could watch a show in this scope 24-7. Nickel wrote 16 drafts of the script before Weir considered the script ready for filming. Later in 1995, Jim Carrey signed to star, but because of commitments with the cable guy and Liar Liar, he would not be ready to start filming for at least another year. Weir felt Carrey was perfect for the role and opted to wait for another year rather than recast the role. Nickel rewrote the script 12 times, while Weir created a fictionalized book about the show's history. He envisioned backstories for the characters and encouraged actors to do the same. Filming took place from December of 1996 to April of 1998. The overall look was influenced by television images, particularly commercials. Many shots have characters leaning into the lens with their eyes wide open and the interior scenes are heavily lit because Weir wanted to remind viewers that in this world, everything was for sale. Those involved in visual effects work found the film somewhat difficult to make because 1997 was the year many visual effects companies were trying to convert to computer-generated imagery, or CGI. CGI was used to create the upper halves of some of the larger buildings in the film's downtown set. An essay published in the International Journal of Psychoanalysis analyzed Truman as a prototypical adolescent at the beginning of the movie. He feels trapped into a familial and social world to which he tries to conform while being unable to entirely identify with it, believing that he has no other choice other than through the fantasy of fleeing to a faraway island. Eventually, Truman gains sufficient awareness of his condition to leave home, developing a more mature and authentic identity as an adult, leaving his child self behind and becoming a true man. The Rotten Tomatoes consensus reads, a funny, tender, and thought-provoking film. The Truman Show is all the more noteworthy for its remarkably prescient vision of runaway celebrity culture and a nation with an insatiable thirst for the private details of ordinary lives. Giving the film a perfect four-star score, Roger Ebert compared it to Forrest Gump, claiming that the film had the right balance of comedy and drama. He was also impressed with Jim Carrey's dramatic performance. Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times wrote, The Truman Show is emotionally involving without losing the ability to raise sharp, satiric questions as well as get numerous laughs. The rare film that is disturbing despite working beautifully within standard industry norms. He would name it the best movie of 1998. In June of 2010, Entertainment Weekly named Truman one of the 100 greatest characters of the last 20 years. Happy anniversary to The Truman Show. Jim Carrey's a fuck switch. In today's birthdays for June 5th, turning 25 today is American football player Sam Darnold. American football player Marcus Colston turns 39 today. American singer, songwriter, bass player, actor, and fashion designer Pete Wentz turns 43 today. Happy 47th birthday to Lithuanian-American basketball player and former Cleveland Cavalier, Zdrunas Elgaskis. 
Turning 51 today is American model, actor, producer, and rapper, Marky Mark himself, Mark Wahlberg. American singer, songwriter, producer, and actor, Brian McKnight turns 53 today. Turning 60 years old today is American actor, comedian, director, screenwriter, and sitcom perv, Jeff Garland. Happy 66th birthday to American saxophonist, songwriter, and producer, Kenny G. And happy 77th birthday to American runner and football player, John Carlos. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please make sure to check out my other show, Happened in the 90s, with my buddy Matt G. Crushgasm with Kendra every Wednesday. B3F Podcast with our buddies Joey and Steve. And don't worry, be moving with Amanda and Wade. Go Celtics for at least the next two weeks. Yeah, let's get them again tonight. Y'all be cool. Peace.